Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. What we want to talk today about is set apart for love. Set apart for love. No, that's not the name of a Hallmark movie. Set apart for for love. Romans chapter 6, verse 20 to 23. As you're turning, let's give Paul and our worship team a hand. It's just an amazing time of worship today. And just an excellent job. So you see Paul and the other worship team, just incredible. Um, love love uh, his worship leading. Romans chapter 6, verse 20 to 23. Once you're there, if you would stand as we read God's word together. Paul is uh, the apostle, not the worship leader. Paul is in the middle of a, a great theological argument um, about what salvation really is. What does it mean to have the blood and forgiveness of Jesus in our lives? And we're kind of getting right in the heart of it. And this is what he says to a church, to the Christians that lived in Rome. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time of those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is alive, that is eternal. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts and minds. We give you this service today. We thank you, Lord, for that anointed time of worship, ushering your presence here and helping our mind become focused on you. We pray as we study your word that it would be shape and mold us into your image, plant uh, seeds in our heart and our life that would produce fruit that's pleasing to you. We give you this service. May you anoint these lips of clay and flesh that they would be your words and not mine. We love you and thank you, and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Romans 6, 20 through 23. There's a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of important stuff in the whole chapter, and, and you could spend months on Romans, and uh, people have done that, and it's, it's good, it's healthy. It's, Romans is one of the most theologically deep and rich books of the Bible, especially of the New Testament. But I want to focus on a couple things that Paul says here, um, talking about set apart for love. The first thing that he discusses here is that we're set apart by God's love for God's love. I want to focus on today, really the heart of it, the main word that Paul uses. It's a big word that he uses in verse 22. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Now maybe you're a new Christian or maybe you're not a Christian at all and you're just, we're drug here today um, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. 
That word sanctification is a big word. It's a Bible word. It's a word Paul uses here in this passage. And it quite simply means to be set apart or holy. If you were to translate that word in Greek, that's what it would come to in English. It means to be set apart. So you could take that and if sanctification is too big of a word for you, uh, then, then maybe break it down and say that the fruit you get leads to being set apart and holy for God. That's really what he's getting at. That's the heart of the message. What is sanctification? There's two big words that Paul uses in Romans. One is justification. The other is sanctification. They're dif different, but yet related. Justification is a word that he uses, and we won't focus on it today for time's sake. But justification means we are in God's courtroom, and we are guilty of sin. Every person has sinned. We're guilty of sin. And as we're standing in God's courtroom, every sin that uh, the, the enemy, the devil, accuses us of is accurate and is correct. But God, whenever someone says, I give my life to Jesus, I, I surrender my life to Him, what God does in justification, He justifies us. Now, we use the word justification today to think that, well, my boss fired me, now I'm going to go slash his tires in the parking lot. Well, no, that, then I'm justified. No, that's not what justification means, or they did me wrong and I'm justified in my actions. No, that's not the way Paul means it, the way we use it today. He uses it as a legal expression to say, we were guilty of sin. We can't deny that we are guilty of sin. But because of what Jesus has done, God looks at us and says, you who are guilty are now justified or now uh, not innocent because we're still guilty of that. But now you go from being an enemy or being guilty to being set free. That's the idea of justification. It's what uh, a theological term that Paul uses that means basically when we give our life to Christ, we go from being guilty in God's eyes to being forgiven in God's eyes. That's the doorway with which we go through. But the thing that we continue on is the word he uses here, sanctification. Another word you might think of sanctification is discipleship. Or in other words, the process of becoming more like Jesus. So, you're set apart, why? You're so, what sets us apart? Paul is explaining here in the middle of his argument, what makes you different from everybody outside of this room? It's not your education, it's not who you're going to vote for, it's not your politics, it's not the clothes you wear, it's not the money in your bank account. What makes you different from everybody else around you is God's love sets you apart. More accurately, it's that you have accepted God's love. That's what makes you different. That's what makes you special. So growing up, when people told you you're special, they were true in a sense that God's love makes you different. It sets you apart from all other creation. When God creates the world in Genesis 1 and 2, He gives special power and authority to mankind, to human beings, that He does not give to the animals. In other words, God is sanctifying or setting apart the human beings from the rest of all creation. Why? To worship Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. We are set apart by God's love. What Jesus did on the cross makes us, when we accept that love, that's the caveat, if you don't accept it, then it doesn't really work for you, but when you accept it, immediately, regardless of your past, regardless of your present situation, regardless of your future, immediately, you are marked, you are set apart by God, for God. We're going to explain that more. 
the idea of sanctification, don't let that word scare you. It means set apart. So we're set apart or sanctified by God's love, for God's love. It's another word that we don't use a lot today, but used to use when I was a kid growing up in church. And, and I know some of the old timers are more familiar with it. It's a word called holiness. Now, where I was from in, in the Midwest, in Oklahoma, holiness was a type of Christianity. It meant long dresses and, you know, long hairs and buns and no makeup. That's, that's a, maybe a form of that, but the idea of holiness is becoming more Christ-like because the more like Jesus I become, the less like my surrounding environment I become. The closer I get to the cross of Jesus Christ and the more I turn my back on the temptation of being like the world around me, then the more holy I become. Holiness is nothing new. It's a command by God all the way in the Old Testament. God tells Israel, His chosen people, He sanctifies them to, to be set apart. He tells them, be holy for I am holy. You want to be like God? Be holy. Live holy lives. That's what we'll talk about. Romans 6, 28, or 20 through 23. In other words, God's love is incredible for you. It's displayed to the death of Christ. It sets you apart from everything else in this world for himself. You are special. You are unique. You are set apart, set aside from everything else in this world for God. He sanctified you. He set you apart. God's love makes you different. So many people think that, that the more I go to church, then, uh, or the more I can quote the Bible. I had a conversation this week with someone about that. They, they, we, we knew a kind of a mutual person that said, boy, they can quote the Scripture, but I don't see kind of what Paul talks about here, the fruit of their life. That's not judging. That's simply doing what God tells us to do that you'll know is by our fruit, by our love for one another. Coming to church all the time makes you no more a Christian than me spending time in a mechanic's garage makes me a mechanic. What makes me different is when I accept God's love and I go to live a holy life. It's His love that makes me different, not being a pastor, not making money, not being a man, not being a woman, not being an American or Hispanic or Canadian. No, what makes me different is God's love, accepting that. Ephesians 1, uh, Paul, the same guy that writes this letter, writes it to a, a bunch of Christians in the town of Ephesus. It's, it's one of my second favorite letters next to this one that he writes. And in chapter 1, he says this, For he predestined us for himself. Now, to get in a little bit into theology, there's people called Calvinists out there that love a guy named John Calvin way back when, and he believed that we're all predestined, and, and we at this church don't really go that far on that. Uh, we believe we have free will to choose that or not, but that's not necessarily the, the, the attitude that Paul is using here. What he's saying is, God set us apart from the beginning of creation. God made you different. He predestined you for a purpose and for a reason. Now, some people, and I think this is unfortunate, think that, well, unless I am a pastor or unless I'm in full-time ministry, then, you know, I just kind of do my thing. No, no, no. We believe what, what Paul says later in one of his letters, the priesthood of all believers. In other words, when you say, I give my life to Jesus, forgive my sins, immediately you are part of God's plan, God's work. God has a purpose for you. What is that purpose? To love Him and fellowship with Him, first of all, and second of all, to tell any and everyone about Him. 
to spread the message of Christ, to spread the goodness of Christ. It's not just a pastor's job or an elder's job in a church. No, no, no. All of us are, have the responsibility of spreading the message of Christ. He says in Ephesians 1, He predestined us to His love. We're set apart on purpose for His purpose. And I want to dive in just, just a little bit. We don't have time to really explore all of it. You can do that this week in your grace group. But Romans 6.22 says that we get fruit from serving God leads to sanctification or holiness or being set apart, all sort of the same thing, which leads to eternal life. Let's read it. Romans 6.22 But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. Look at this. The fruit you get leads to being set apart, holiness, sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And that results in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. He repeats it. He uses in these few verses the analogy of fruit. And he says, listen, there are two kinds of people in this world. We all produce fruit. Whether you are a heathen and you are the most despicable human being ever, or you're the most saintly like Mother Teresa that ever walked the earth. We all produce fruit. The difference is there's one kind of person that the fruit they produce is poisonous. It's sour. It is literally deadly, and it will kill them. It kills everything around them. It kills their relationships, their jobs, their career, their family. It kills them. It kills their joy. It kills their hope in life. It kills them from the inside out, just like fruit that has a, that has a worm on the inside. You can't see it on the outside, but there's something nasty on the inside. In fact, there was a, several months ago, my wife bought some peaches back in the summer, and, and, I, and I love peaches, and when I'm eating this peach, I bite into the peach. I had two-thirds of the peach all the way eaten, and, um, or ate, whatever proper English is used there. But I get to the seed, which is a pretty big seed. I get to the middle, and it literally disintegrates in my hands. It just falls apart. I didn't break it open. It falls apart, and I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. As, as I, the thing falls apart, a worm crawls out of the seed the, the peach that I had two-thirds of the way eaten. So being the man that I am, I washed it off and I went ahead and ate it. The peach, not the worm. But the idea is, as I began to eat the, pe eat the peach, I didn't know that it was rotten. If I would have kept going through with that, it could have potentially been poisonous or harmed my body. He says, listen, the kind of people out there that produce fruit, that it may look good on the outside, they may drive a fancy car and have a nice house and have you know, nice children and a nice career, but on the inside, what you don't see, what you can't see beneath the veil or underneath the mask, the facade, the veneer that they put on is unhappiness, is uh, contentment, is, is bitterness and anger and discouragement and disappointment. Because the fruit they produce is eating them alive. Well, how do I know if I'm producing that kind of fruit? Well, Paul tells you here, he says, for you were slaves of sin, you were free to righteousness. And then verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which now, as a Christian, you're ashamed of? So think about this. When you didn't know Christ, or maybe in this room, if you don't know Christ, you need to understand, and this is Paul, not me, speaking uh, God's Word, saying that, listen, the fruit that your life is producing is killing you. It is eating you up. You will die from what you're eating. 
from the things that you take in, from the things in your life, and we don't mean die because of cholesterol and, and unhealthy food, that might be part of it, but we mean the things that you take in through your eyes, through your ears, the things that you watch, the things, the conversations you're a part of, the people you hang around. You may think it's all fine, it's all innocent, but at the end of the day, Paul says, it's killing you. Yeah, it's producing fruit all right, but that fruit will kill you. And when we say kill you, we don't mean end your life physically here, although that is part of it. We mean, what Paul means here, and when it says death, it means eternal separation from God. Hell, the worst part of hell is not flames and demons. That's really bad. The worst part of hell is eternal separation from God with no hope of ever being forgiven and reconciled back to God. Paul says, for those of you that are living that life, that is your destiny. It's a one-way street. You're eating this fruit of sin. You're gorging yourself. You're participating in it. And the more you do, the more it rots away on the inside out. And one day, you're, it's slowly killing everything in you. Your joy, your peace, your love for life, relationships that you have, the future that you want to have, it's killing all of those things. And one day you'll realize, hopefully before it's too late, that I've got nothing left. Everything around me is dead. Paul says, on the other hand, there's another group of folks that the fruit they produce leads to eternal life. And that's absolutely true. It leads to life, not just when we die and go to heaven, but listen, you can produce fruit in this life today that is a blessing to others. So you can produce fruit that, that is harmful and poisonous to you and poisonous to other people that people before long don't want anything to do with you. Or you can produce sanctification kind of fruit or holiness kind of fruit and that fruit is good that fruit most of all honors God and is pleasing to him and brings him joy and honor that fruit is a blessing to other people that fruit once attracts other people to you and ultimately most importantly attracts them to God the question Paul poses here is what kind of fruit are you producing because we all produce fruit that's a universal truth no matter your background or your education or your money, we all produce fruit. The difference is some of us are producing fruit that is honoring to God, pleasing to Him, beneficial to our own life. Others of us are producing fruit full of sin. And the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. It's so true. The more we ingest junk in our life, the more we ingest sin and filth in our life, things that are dishonoring to God, before long that will begin to come out in your life. You know, I've heard people say that, that sometimes when an alcoholic, uh, they drink a, a large amount of alcohol and they begin to sweat a lot, that they're sweating the alcohol out in their pores and you can smell it. I don't think there's a better example than that. That the more we ingest junk, harmful things, sinful things in our life, it, it comes out one way or the other. It comes out of your pores. It seeps out of every pore of your body. And it's disgusting. Oh, I had a good time doing it. That may be true, but where are you now? You've got a horrific hangover. And, and we're not preaching necessarily against alcohol, but it's the imagery. Other people can smell it. It's disgusting. Others of us, the holiness and righteousness sets us apart for Him. It's that fruit. So, fruit from serving God, here's the principle, fruit from serving God leads to sanctification or holiness or being set apart, and that leads to eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, Paul says. 
Everybody produces fruit, but only one kind leads to life. What kind of fruit are you producing? And some of you in the room that say, I can relate to that because I remember last year, six months ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, when I wasn't a Christian, what my life was like. And yeah, when I look back now, man, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy in my life. Because as I look back now, the fruit I was producing was harmful. It was killing me. And if it wasn't but for the grace of God, it would have killed me. But now I look at my life. I look at what God has done. I look at how I passionately pursue His presence. I look at how much I want to draw closer to Him in the cross and turn my back away from the things of the world. That the more I seek Him, the more I want to become like Him. I produce fruit that's pleasing to Him. My family is blessed because of that. My coworkers, maybe they realize it, maybe they don't, but they're blessed because of that. Everything I do, it seems like, is blessed. Why? Not because of me, but because I'm producing good fruit. Because I'm seeking Him. Basically, to sum up verses 21 through 23, Paul says, listen, when you live sanctified or set apart for God, you will live forever with Him. But when you live for yourself or sin, you will live forever without Him. Selfishness, in other words, leads to death. Selflessness leads to life. The more selfish you are, the quicker it's a one-track road to death and separation from God. That's really what the heart of sin is. It says, I don't care about God. I don't care about His Word. I don't care what He says is right and wrong. I don't care what other people say. All I care about is pleasing myself. It's all about me. I deserve it. I earn it. The more you have that attitude or people have that attitude, the quicker that one-way track to eternal separation from God goes. But the opposite is just as true, and that's the encouraging thing. That the more we say, I reject those things, I want to draw closer to God, I want to know Him more, that the more selfless we are in living for Him, not ourself, not our ambition, but living for Him and serving Him, the more blessed our life is. We're set apart by God, by His love, for His love. And the second thing that I, I would like to spend the majority of the time on is that we should live set apart. You might read this and say, well, so what? So, okay, I'm set apart by God's love, for God's love. What does that mean? So what? What's the practical application of these couple of verses here? Well, uh, quite simply, Romans 12, Paul says this in, in a couple of chapters. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, we should live set apart. We should live sanctified. We should live in holiness. Don't hear these kind of sermons very often today. We hear sermons about how great we are and how God wants to bless all that we do, which is true. But we don't get that without being holy for Him. Romans 12, do not conform to be like this world. Live, in other words, set apart. Live differently on purpose. As I said, maybe a year ago or six months ago, when a great theologian from England named J.I. Uh, Packer said this, or from Canada rather, J.I. Packer, or no, John Stott, I'm sorry, from England. John Stott said this. He said, one of the things, and he just passed away, one of the things that I fear the most in Christianity today, talking about Christianity at large, is I don't hear enough sermons about be set apart and be holy. Be different. Listen, from the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, through and through, do not be like the world. Be different. Be different. Be different. 
So, when people say you're special, yeah, they're right because God's love makes you special. But when they say, boy, you're really different, they're right too because, hey, you should be different. You should live differently. You shouldn't reflect the values of this world. You should reflect the values of God's kingdom, of his love, of his joy, of his peace. We live in a world, and it's so ironic, especially American culture and society today, that says, conform, conform, conform. Be like us. Have our values. Have our standards. Have our morals, if there are any anymore. And yet when you do that, that you, you hear in American culture that, oh, individualism. It's all about you. You're special and you're different and we celebrate how different you are, how special you are. But really what they're saying is, but if you're not like me, I don't want you to be different. If you don't think like I think, I don't want you to be different. So they, it's a big lie. On the outside, they say, oh, yes, be different. Just be you. But on the inside, really what they're saying is, no, be like us. Have our values. Have our systems. The Bible calls us a strange and peculiar people. We are different. So when the world mocks Christianity, they should mock Christianity. Because when the world doesn't mock Christianity, there is no such thing as Christianity left. We're just a, a, a light version of secular values. And I fear for many churches and Christians that have that. We become like the world to win the world. No, no, no. That's not ever in Scripture. What you see is be holy, be holy, be holy. Be sanctified, be sanctified. Be, be different, be different, be different. We're not different just to be different sake. No, we're different because this is not our home. Barack Obama is not my king, nor is any Republican or Democratic candidate. Christ alone is my king. My knee will not bow to him or anyone else, but to Christ alone. My values are not in the Constitution. As great as it is, my values are in God's Word alone. And I understand that the media may not get that. Hollywood certainly doesn't get that. I understand that my family may not understand that. My coworkers, people around me in my life may not understand that. And I'm okay with that. Why? Because he told me to. He said, be different. Be set apart. We live in a world of conformity. If you're not like us, if you don't value what we value, say what we say, or do what we say, you're just a weirdo. Well, label me a weirdo. We live for his love. Understand this. Maybe you want to write this down. We live as Christians for his love, not their approval. As a Christian, you live for God's love. You live for his purposes, not the approval of the world. We, we as, as, as Americans, criticize uh, people who, uh, you know, political figures who follow opinion polls, that, well, the polls say this, so you should react, and so on and so forth. How much more should we as Christians do the same thing? That, well, the world says that we should act like this, so maybe we should. No. I don't care what the world says. I care what he says. He's the one that I answer to. I live for his love, not their approval. I don't live by the opinion polls of how the world views Christianity. No, I live for what Christ says. I live for His love in my life. Now, what I really want to spend some time on, you think, well, you've been spending a lot of time already. I understand that, and we'll be done in a few moments. But, but I, what I want to spend some time on is the idea of sanctification. So we talked about that briefly. How does that look in a practical sense in everyday life? Well, it, it's quite simple. That we can sanctify things Ourselves, And when you sanctify something, you're telling God it belongs to Him. So, you know, for example, if I was to take this music stand 
And I take this stand and I say, music stand, you have one purpose and one purpose only. That purpose is to hold my Bible. Music stand, you're not going to hold music notes anymore. You're not going to be there to uh, hold instruments or, or hold music or notes. You're there for one reason, and that is to hold my Bible. What I have just done is sanctified that music stand. Now, that music stand has one purpose, and that is the purpose that I gave it. I have the authority to sanctify this music stand. It could say, well, I don't want to do that. Okay. You could say, well, I disagree with that. That's fine. But I'm the one that has the authority to sanctify it. To say it is set apart now. It is designated for one reason. And that is the reason that I give it. So it is with God. You are set apart, sanctified. You are different for what He tells you. Not what your spouse says or boyfriend or girlfriend or your career says or your boss says or your neighbor says. No, no, no. You're set apart for what he tells you. They do not have authority to sanctify you. They do not have authority to tell you your value or your worth or your purpose in life. Well, the only person, the only being that has power and authority to tell you your purpose in life, your worth in life, is Him and Him alone. Why? He sanctified you. They didn't. He set you apart. They didn't. I'm not set apart because I'm your pastor. I'm not set apart because I'm a husband or a father. I'm set apart because God said, I predestined you in my love. I set you apart in my love. Only I, only God can set me apart and give a purpose and meaning for my life. I'm not set apart by my parents as great as I love them. I'm not set apart by where I live or my neighborhood. That doesn't make me different. What makes me set apart is Him and His love. Now, with that said, so only God can set us apart for our purpose and value in life and our love in life. However, to take this maybe even a step further, God, as we said in the beginning, stay with me, in Genesis 1 and 2, you know what God does? He sanctifies mankind, Adam, to name all of the animals in the Garden of Eden. He gives him power and authority to sanctify or set apart other things in life. I believe, and sort of what Paul is getting at here, that through Christ, we have the power and ability to sanctify, to set apart, make things holy in our life today. Well, I don't know about that. What do you mean? Well, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, same guy that writes this letter, he wrote two-thirds of the, of the New Testament, Paul writes to a church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6 towards the very end, and he says, don't you understand you are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the one who bought you out of sin, and that is Christ. In other words, you are not your own. Your body now is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what he's really saying? From now on, when you accept Christ in your life, your physical body is sanctified, not for your own pleasure or your own goodness or your own whatever. Your body now is sanctified for him. What for him? To, that his presence would dwell in your life. So when we say God lives in us, we mean that almost quite literally. That our body, our life, our spirit, remember junk in, junk out, that's why holiness and being sanctified is so critically important. That the holier we are, the more God wants to dwell in us. The more like Him we are, the more like we are God's temple in our life, the more He wants to dwell in us. You want God's favor in your life? You want God's blessing in your life? Well, how can I do that? Well, I don't have a five-step program to sell you in a book or conference. What I can tell you is really what Paul said, that you want to have God's favor and blessing in your life? Go more and more like Him. 
draw closer and closer to the cross and less and less like the world around you. The more you do that, why? Because the more you're like him, the more sanctified you are, the more he wants to dwell in your life. And the more he dwells in your life, the more his blessing and favor will follow. I live differently today because in September of this year, 10 years ago, I gave my life to my wife. She doesn't let a day go by that doesn't remind me that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but 10 years ago, I said I do, and she said I do. I live differently today. In other words, I am set apart for her. When she put the ring on my left finger here, it wasn't to say, you're set apart for me and your career. You're set apart for me and ministry. You're set apart for me and other women. No, no, no. You're set apart only for me. In fact, that was in the vows. I remember the vows quite well. You're set apart only for me. I live differently as a married man than I would if I was a single man. Hopefully that's true for all of us in the room. I live differently. Why? I'm forced to? Absolutely not. Well, I have to. That's what married people do. Oh, come on. No. I want to. As Paul says here in Romans 6 that we're slaves to God. Oh, that's a bad word. No, no, no. I'm a slave to my wife. I think that's a good thing. She's a slave to me. Not in the sense that, that human beings have made it an evil word, but it's a good thing that we belong to each other. We live to serve each other, to be a blessing to each other. And so that every day my life, is it's not about me, it's about you. Speaking of, you know what she did today? She's about to have a baby any moment now. Any moment, just look at her. You can tell. You look at her hard enough, maybe the baby will come. But she's so pregnant, and, and I got up at, at, at about 6 o'clock this morning to come here. And before I could even uh, put my coat on to go start my truck to let it warm up, she was already out there, about to have a baby any moment, already out there starting my truck, letting it warm up. That's selflessness. That's being set apart. So it is that we should do that for each other. When you sanctify something, you're telling God that it belongs to Him. Now, here's the really the meat of it. When you sanctify something, you're telling God, this now has new meaning. It belongs to you. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Been building up to this the whole sermon. Here's where the rubber meets the road. When you say, God, my children belong to you, you have just sanctified your kids. God, I understand they're, quote, my kids. But God, really, the Bible says that I am a steward of them. In other words, God, they are really from you and a blessing to me. So God, help me to raise them and teach them and train them in the way that they will love and live for you alone. God, I want my kids to be set apart. Not for me. I don't want to brand them with my parenting style. No, I want to brand them with Christ alone. I want my kids to be different from the other kids at school. I want my kids to be set apart because, God, they belong to you. So it is with my marriage. God, I am married to my spouse. Lord, our marriage is different. Our marriage is set apart. Our marriage is not like my coworkers who gripe about their spouse all the time. Our marriage is not like some of my other family members or friends who gripe about their old lady or their old man. How horrific would that be if you said that? No, 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 God, my marriage is different. Why? Not because we read books. No, my marriage is different because I give it to you. God, I want my marriage to be sanctified. It doesn't belong to me, God. It belongs to you. If what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 is true, that your body is not yours as a Christian, it's his, how much more is our marriage? How much more is our talents? 
God gave you a talent and a gift and an ability. And when you say, I'm going to use this for my own advancement, for my own pleasure, for my own glory, for my own will, you're dishonoring God. But when you say, God, the talent and the gift that you gave me, whether it's to be a good employee or a good boss or a good leader or a good servant or whatever the case is, God, I use it for you. In other words, God, it's not really my career or my job, it's yours. You gave it to me. Now, God, I want every day when I punch in and punch out the time clock, it's your time. It belongs to you. And God, I acknowledge that coworkers don't know you. And so God, you ordained it. You put me in that place that I could reach them for you. I sanctify my job. Maybe it's our house. The, one of the first things my wife and I did, we really, we, we had the moving boxes in and the very next night we went around with anointing oil and we anointed all the doorposts in our home. God, this is your house. May nothing but pleasure and joy and the sweet aroma of your presence fill this house. May no hatred or evil thoughts or evil spirits or, or uh, bad things ever enter in this home. I sanctified our home. I dedicated it for one purpose, God's glory. When you begin to transform your mind, as Paul says, and view everything that God's given you in life through these lenses of sanctification, setting things apart, it will change your life for the better. And now, maybe the, the most painful for some of us is our money. You know really what tithe and offering really is giving? You know what you're really doing? God, all my money is yours. Every last red cent in my bank account is yours. And Lord, what I want to do is show you and really show myself that God, it ain't my money, it's your money. Lord, I am sanctifying my bank account by giving it to you. God, you tell me, I don't want to be held back by this 10% rule that floats around there. No, no, no. God, if you tell me, Paul says this, that we should pray about what we should give. So God, hey, if you tell me to give 20%, I will generously, gladly give 20%. But God, all my money is yours. It belongs to you and it comes from you. And I set apart my money for your work and for your purposes. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, that if we would seek him first, everything else will be added to you. So you want a nicer house, you want nicer money, you want all these things, hey, here's a way to have that. To understand, it's not me, God, it's all yours. And God, when I give it to you, and I put my money with you, and I sanctify my money, God, you'll take care of all my other bills. That's why I personally think it's so imperative for Christians, when you're writing out your offering check, or your tithe check, your giving check, whatever you like to call it, that I believe it should be the very first check that you write every single week. I know there's some might, might disagree with that. And here's why I think that's important. That's exactly what you're telling yourself, you're telling your family, and most importantly, you're telling God. God, you're first. This money isn't, I'm going to pay all my bills and what's left, God, belongs to you. That's not sanctification. That's not set apart. That's not holiness. Holiness is, you're first. You're first in my money, then all my bills. In fact, God, if I will live that way, if I will live with giving money to you first, I know that you'll provide every other bill that I have. Every other money that I have, you'll provide. You'll take care of. When you sanctify your kids, I promise the difference you'll see in your home. When you sanctify your home, the difference you'll see in that home. I mean, I've, I've done that with vehicles. You say, well, you're getting carried away. Well, maybe, maybe not, because I realize, God, all I have is from you. Lord, this vehicle maybe not be the best one that I would pick out. I'd love to have a brand new Chevy or Ford that's, a, that's an extended cab 4x4 dually. That's what I'd like to have. But I've got a little, you know, Ford Ranger. That's okay, God. That's what you gave me. And so, God, I'm going to use it for you. God, it's not my stuff. It's on loan to me from you. And I want to set it all apart for you, sanctify these things for you.
And you say, well, what scripture proof do you have for that? Ephesians 5. We've talked about that a couple times today. Go home, especially today on Valentine's Day, and read Ephesians 5, the whole chapter, but especially towards the end, I believe around verse 22. And Paul says this, and this is something that really kind of ruffles people the wrong way, but it's God's word. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, give yourselves to your wife as Christ gave to the church. You know what really he's saying there? Christ died for the church, his bride. What did he do when he did that? What does Paul tell us here? He sanctified us. Husbands, you sanctify your wife. Wives, sanctify your husbands. You set them apart. You mark them for special purposes, for God's purposes. When Christ died for us, he sanctified his bride, the church. We should sanctify our kids, sanctify your job. In other words, live holy. Give it to him and live holy. Paul's going to come back and begin to play. So again, we're set apart for love. Not just on Valentine's Day. We're set apart for love. We're set apart by God's love, for God's love. Everybody produces fruit. Either your fruit is killing you or your fruit is producing life. We're set apart by God's love. That's what makes us different. Not our politics, not our money, not where we live. What makes us different is God's love. We're set apart for his love to be holy. Therefore, live holy. Live different. Live different on purpose sanctify. You want your marriage to be better? You want this relationship to be better? You want the church to be better? You want your job to be better? Have you sanctified yourself? God, I belong to you. And all that I have, all that I encounter is yours. I want to sanctify my marriage. I want to set it apart for you. God, I want to sanctify my, my own talents and gifts. God, I give it to you. God, my money. We're set apart by God's love, for God's love. And we should live set apart in all that we do. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be holy, be different on purpose. If you want to stand as we sing this morning. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.